the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. The understanding of where the Bible comes from is a significant point in our study of the wisdom of God that we have been in in 1 Corinthians. In speaking of the distinction between the wisdoms of man and God, as well as the method of delivering or explaining those wisdoms, Paul has emphasized the superiority and otherworldliness of God's wisdom centered in the gospel. And as he continues to explain this for us, he delves into the role of the Holy Spirit in this whole thing. And we find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, and that's the passage in our outline for this morning. And that is four qualifications of the Holy Spirit to be the agent of God's word. Four qualifications of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be the agent of God's word. Now, to be clear, we will find that this isn't a situation where God the Father sought these qualifications. Like he had these written out qualifications like a boss or, or, or a manager looking for an employee. This is what we're looking for. And the Holy Spirit was one of many, or perhaps the only one who happened to meet that criteria that the Father had laid out. These qualifications that we're going to look at, these four qualifications, are after the fact. In other words, only the Holy Spirit could be the agent of God's word, and we are reassured of his abilities in this passage. You could almost say that we are given four assurances that the Holy Spirit is qualified to be the agent of God's word. So what are those four assurances? What are those four qualifications or four qualities of the Holy Spirit that makes him able to do this? Well, the first is the perception of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a second qualification of the Holy Spirit to be the agent of God's word, and that is the privilege the privilege of the Holy Spirit, which we see in verse 11. Well, let me give you qualification number three, the provision of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now here, Paul again makes a distinction between the things of the world and the things of God. The spirit of the world is the spirit or the force that animates the world. It's just a a, a continuation in his vocabulary of what he's talking about all along in alluding to the wisdom of the world. 
So this encompasses much of what we have talked about thus far in, in, in over the past several weeks regarding the ways and the wisdom of the world. And Paul, when referencing we, and, and I've, I've hinted at this already, but you have to understand that he's referring, Paul is referring to himself and the other apostles in talking about the revelation. Because though the word of God is, of course, for all Christians, it was directly revealed by the Spirit only to the apostles and the other writers of the scriptures. They, of course, in turn, wrote it down for us or preached it to others. And through history, by the power of the Spirit, we understand it. And to a degree, it was revealed to us by the Spirit. But in the direct direct context and talking about inspiration and revelation, those fancy words talking about how we got the scriptures, uh, this passage is specifically talking about the apostles. Well, back to the passage. In their ministry and their post-conversion lives, and after the ascension of Christ, these men were given the Holy Spirit from God rather than the spirit of the world. Now, as unbelievers, just like we once did, we lived according to the spirit of the world, right? We, we lived according to the methods and the wisdom of the world. But post-conversion, we are now in Christ. We now have the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this is found in the second part of the verse. Why? Were they given, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. See, we seem to have an allusion to God's grace here when Paul writes that these things were not just given, but freely given, right? Grace, free gift. And God wants his people to know his truth. That's key here. Paul, or excuse me, God didn't just kind of piece by piece, well, uh, I don't really want to give this, maybe I'll give this, right? We know from the previous passage that it was held in secret as a mystery for ages, this was not because he had no intention of letting people know uh, this truth. The plan all along was to reveal these truths in Jesus Christ and his followers who came after him to fully reveal the gospel. So it didn't come and, and he's looking down on earth and, and they crucified Jesus and he said, oh man, now I got someone, you know, no one twisted his arm. And so he says, well, I guess I got to let people know now. The world doesn't, didn't surprise him with the path it went down and being more and more and more wicked. And then God finally relented and said, you know what, I got to give him this. I didn't want to, but I'm going to give him this truth. No, he always wanted us to know, but only in his perfect timing. And at that moment of time, he didn't reluctantly give it. He freely gave it. It is very clear in the scriptures what God desires of us. Grace, freely given. All of this made possible because of the provision of the Holy Spirit. Well, we've seen three of the four qualifications of the Holy Spirit to be the agent of God's word, the perception of the Holy Spirit, the privilege, the provision, and finally, the pedagogy of the Holy Spirit, the pedagogy, the teaching, the instruction of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Here we get insight into how the words of the scriptures came to be, what we refer to as the doctrine of inspiration, which I alluded to in my introduction in quoting Second Timothy. 
Paul begins by saying, quote, things we also speak, again, referring to himself and the other apostles. The truths which we have received from them are not uh, uh, truths or, or not words taught by human wisdom. Rather, they were taught by the Holy Spirit. In other words, these are not just Paul's thoughts. They are from God. Now, I think uh, when, when true Christians have issues with certain things that the New Testament teaches, we obviously, as Christians, know enough not to accuse God of being outdated or accuse God of being a liar or whatever it may be or being wrong. So we attack people like Paul. And usually when we have issues with the New Testament, it falls, on an, it falls into an attack on Paul, which I think is simply because he penned more of the New Testament than any other. And we can easily question, is this really what God wants, or is this just Paul's bias? Is this just his opinion? And, and maybe this contradicts what God actually wants. What he would be teaching and what we would see in the New Testament, if it was of Paul rather than the Holy Spirit, is the teaching of the Old Testament law of God. He would be promoting the suppression of gospel preaching. He would be protesting and trying to destroy or call for the destruction of the church. Do you see what I'm getting at here? You can't nitpick and, and say, well, this is just Paul and Paul was wrong because that's, that's just not what you would care about, right? We clearly understand that these things are from the Holy Spirit. And we know this is not what he teaches, the law and legalism and suppression of the, the gospel preaching and all those things, but he once did. That is what he dedicated his life to before he was converted. Now, as a believer and a messenger of Christ, he is teaching God's truth and, in fact, inspired by the Spirit. And there's an interesting nuance that he shares with us at the end of verse 13 regarding how the Spirit does this work and did this work through him, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Combining actually literally means to judge together. And the idea is to bring together, to combine, to compare, to explain, or to even interpret. Ultimately, it is speaking of a means of communication. And the, this communication is found in the Holy Spirit bringing together or combining the spiritual with the spiritual. Spiritual ideas with spiritual words. In other words, Ideas that are expressed in a way that people would understand them, especially considering these are concepts that without him, they would be imperceptible to the human mind. He still uses, however, human language and human personalities through Paul and the other writers of Scripture to convey the message in a way that we can grasp it. And so combining spiritual ideas with spiritual words, just like a good teacher would, right? You ever been uh, um, to college, or university, and you had a professor that wasn't really a professor? 
In other words, he was an expert in the field and, and maybe they just called him in to be a guest professor for the semester and he's never taught before. And so he doesn't convey the ideas in a way that you as a 21-year-old would understand, but he just kind of conveys it the way he would to his colleagues who have all have PhDs. And you're just like, I have no idea what he is saying. He is not making this understandable. I mean, even speaking in a language that's not known to humankind. But instead, in his grace, and again, evidence of his desire to reveal that mystery to us, that we would know it, he chooses words carefully, combining these lofty and ununderstandable concepts in a way that we can understand them. Okay? So uh, this isn't just about language. It is about meaning and the message and the right words to precisely and exactly express the gospel. The spirit is the key to everything. He brings it all together for the proper communication and subsequently proper comprehension of God's will in the gospel, and then after that, for believers, his will for how they are to live. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is the only one who is qualified to be the agent of God's word, and he is the only one who was the agent of God's word to the apostles. Now, in our remaining time, I want to answer a few questions, or excuse me, one question, to make this practical for you. And that question is, what do we do about this? So what? Okay, great. Inspiration, understand that. Doctrine of the scriptures, understand that. Holy Spirit is the agent, so what? What do we do about this? What do we do about what we've just learned? Now, this is not directly from this passage, but clearly Elsewhere, firstly, how do you respond to what you just learned this morning? Worship. Why do I put that first? Because that's the first thing you do with anything you learn about. Worship. Anything you learn about, about God, about his will, in the scriptures, any verse that you read, your first response should be worship. Anything you learn about in society, your first response should be worship. People have died of COVID-19, you should worship. Your daughter has died before she was born. You should worship. Your daughters were drowned horribly in the Atlantic. You should worship. You are stuck at home. You are laid off. You are fired. You should worship. There's a vaccine. You should worship. There's a cure. You should worship. You won the lottery. You should worship. You got a raise. You should worship. Everything should firstly be responded to in worship. The essence of worship and why it's possible to worship in any scenario is responding to who God is. That's worship. Worth in the Old English. Worth-ship. To recognize his worth. The essence of worship is responding to who God is. And that's why you can look at the scriptures and respond to who God is. But also as a Christian, whatever difficulty or trial you go through, you understand God's sovereignty and all that stuff about him. And you can respond to who God is. And as we learn more about him, the more fully and deeply, such as understanding more deeply the agency of the Holy Spirit, we can worship him. 
So what, number two? Give thanks. Give thanks. Although giving thanks is part of worship, it is distinct. Worship God for who he is, regardless of what he has done for us. Okay, that's the key to worship versus thanks. That you worship God for who he is. One of the challenges that we find because of our sin and pride is we connect worship only with responding to what he has done for us. When he gives me something I want, then I worship. When my marriage is good or getting better, then I worship. Right? Worship is not responding just to the good things in your definition of good that he gives you. If that is your definition of worship, you are in big, big trouble. Because your worship will not be constant. So your mood and emotions will not be constant. You'll be happy and sad, up and down, but never joyful. Worship must be planted and rooted in who God is, no matter how miserable or how wonderful your life may be. Thanks, on the other hand, as an act of worship, is a response to what he has done for you specifically, or for anyone else generally. And so when you understand that first primary understanding or definition of worship, responding to who he is in his nature and character, regardless of anything he has done, then you can give thanks not just for your own comfort and your own good, but also when you see good things happening to other people, even when it's to the detriment of your own happiness. Okay? Number three, study. Study. Even though it is, it is the Spirit that reveals these things, we still need to study. We are not exempt from using our God-given intellect and senses to study. If anything, our understanding of how we got the Scripture should drive us to study it and Him even more. Because if it is God's word, then we better know it better. See, if it truly is, as we have seen, God revealing himself to us, we better study it and get it right. Number four, appreciate the spirit. Appreciate the spirit. And I don't just mean thank him, worship him. That includes it. It doesn't mean just, man, I really appreciate the Holy Spirit for his role in the history of the church. Right? That's part of it. Right? Appreciating people is recognizing what they have done. Right? That's how you appreciate them. And that is to a certain degree what I'm saying. But also, when you appreciate someone, it is recognizing what they have done, but not adding to it. Right? It it, it doesn't help if you go to someone and say, hey, I, I really appreciate, you know, what you did by, by during, during the shelter in place, I appreciate that you came by and you dropped us off food. Knowing, or perhaps mistakenly thinking, that he never did that. All that does is make you seem like a jerk or make them feel bad because it seems like you're sarcastically implying that someone else did that and you should have done it, right? What am I, what's my point here? 
appreciating the Holy Spirit is not just worshiping and thanking him for what he has done. It is avoiding worshiping him and attributing to him things he has not done. And I don't need to go into specifics, but you all know that there are major movements, one major movement in particular around the world today under the umbrella of evangelicalism that is attributing to the Holy Spirit things on a daily basis that he has not done. That does not worship him. That does not appreciate him. That slanders him. Be very careful. Even as, quote-unquote, conservative Christians, non-charismatic Christians, we can also be guilty of this when we talk about uh, being led or being spoken to. We need to be very careful. Number five, don't judge. If indeed it is the Holy Spirit alone that reveals these things, and you truly understand that, then you have no right to judge the unbeliever for not understanding the word. And can I say that judging is not just saying, hey, dummy, hey, sinner, you're so, you're so ignorant. But even when you get frustrated when trying to explain a concept to them or sharing the gospel with them and they reject it, and you get angry, that's judging them. Don't judge unbelievers for not getting it. And we'll talk more about this in our passage next week. Number six, what do you do to respond to this? And this is for those of you who are not Christians. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything that I've talked about, though you may not fully comprehend it, comes down to this. What we are saying in regards to how to become a Christian, in regards to who the only God is, in regards to Jesus Christ and the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection, all of that is the only way to God. That's basically what I'm saying here, what I've been saying for the last 40 minutes. To connect it to the actual words of the passage we saw, it is because we know that this was delivered by God himself. Now, if you aren't a Christian, it's okay that these things don't make sense to you. Because what I've been saying is it's only natural for you not to fully comprehend these things. But if you want to know, if you want to know God, if this sparks an interest in you, you need to come to the Savior. You need to understand that you are a sinner. Not in the minds of politicians, not in the minds of the cops, but in the will and mind of God, meaning you have violated God's will. It doesn't matter if you've been caught by the police. It doesn't matter how big your crime is. A crime or a breaking of God's law, a sin, in God's mind is, can be something small. Even if you told a lie when you were three years old, you are guilty enough to be punished by death, eternal death, which is hell. If you recognize that you are indeed a sinner and that you need God's forgiveness and that you can never earn your own salvation or your way to God, your way to heaven, then you would naturally look to someone who could pay that price for you, and that is Jesus Christ. But he didn't pay the price with money that wouldn't have done it. He didn't just pay the price by living the perfect life that you were supposed to live, but he paid the penalty, even though he lived a perfect life, being God and man, dying on the cross for your sins, conquering death, conquering sin, proving that by being raised from the dead after the third day. 
And if you give your life to Christ by accepting your sins, repenting, which means turning from your sin and turning to God, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you will receive the Holy Spirit and these things will start making sense to you. But what's more important is you will have a right or friendly relationship with God, your creator. You will go to heaven forever as well. So what do all these things mean for you as a non-Christian? Accept Jesus Christ and the cloud of confusion that we've been talking about will be lifted, but that's really just one of the benefits of an eternal life and a right relationship with God and the removal of judgment. Well, let's close in prayer. Hi, this is Roger Chen of Grace Church of the Bay Area and our radio ministry, Grace to the Bay. I hope that this series on 1 Corinthians has been a blessing to you. And I just want to encourage you as we come to the end of the year, as we look forward to broadcasting our sermons in 2022, would you prayerfully consider supporting us as we are a listener-supported ministry? If the Lord has led you to do that, you can go to our church website, gracebayarea.org, and just click on the giving link. And we are so appreciative. We want to offer this and continue to preach the word and get the truth of God's word out to the greater Bay Area. Even if you are unable to give at this time, would you just go on our website, gracebayarea.org, and send us an email and let us know how we can pray for you or how this ministry has been a blessing to you. Thank you so much, and until next week, have a great Saturday and have a great week. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.